So just before um, Chris comes, uh, a couple of things. One, I really hope, who was here this morning? Who heard the word this morning? So I really hope we can, we can grasp the magnitude to which we're called. I really hope that we can grasp that the God we worship is a God who's incredibly intentional and he has incredible purpose for his church. And I believe God is smashing the apatheticness in his church and the slumberness that exists in his church. Now the Bible says, look at the ant. The ant goes about its business without anyone overseeing it because it knows what to do. And God is raising a people on this earth who understand him and his ways and are living with him to see them accomplished. There is accountability. There is purpose for everything he does. And as his people, it's, we've been invited to understand those things. And so I really hear you can hear what is going out through the pulpit. I really do pray that God has given you and you have these ears to be apprehended by what is being said because it's incredibly serious. I don't know about you, but to stand before him and to realize that you've missed it would be heartbreaking. To realize you're invited into this fulfillment and to realize at that moment, and guys, there's no, oh, what if, can I have another chance at that moment? It's too late. The judgment has gone down. You had your time. And so there's a, there's a sense of a quickening and I hope you can hear the quickening and an awe and a reverence that God is getting out towards us. It's like we really are to be captivated by what you're hearing. It should grab you and go, you know, like the Bible says in reverence, uh, Noah built an ark. He was in awe of what he was heard and saw. He was captivated by the word and it had him doing something that no one even knew what an ark was. And no one had seen rain for a long time. And this is what the word does. So as Chris comes tonight and he shares, I hope you're captivated. Yeah, and sometimes when we hear words like the false prophet, there can be this, ooh, okay? We're to hear this through the lens of faith, not fear. Okay, we're not, ooh, what if I get it wrong? But God puts this in his word so we find the right path. And I was saying with Jane before, the counterfeit always looks like the real that's why God gives his church discernment to discern in the spirit the difference between what's right in him and what's false in him. And so it's going to be an awesome night. But just before he comes, I want two people, one male, one female, to come and share uh, a word that you got over the last two weeks, uh, pictures you may have received, something gave a word or a vision last week. We talked about young men prophesy. There's no old men here, so <laughs> still waiting for those dreams to come. So who wants to come and share? One male, one female, come and share what you got, how it encouraged you, what you heard. I thought if I turn around, by the time I turn back, someone will be standing here.
So you know where this prophetic race that steps up to, and there's no false humility in us, eh, that goes, oh, well done, Haley, thank you. Um, one of the words I got from someone was that I need to let go of the concerns I have. <laughs> and it was funny because that same night, I, God had asked me to let go of something in regards to Eddie. But then I also knew I was holding on to something else. And for that, for that word to come at that time, I was like, okay, I need to let go of two things here. Let go of one, and now I need to let go of the other. So it was awesome. Gentlemen. Sorry, Chris, can't bring you up here, mate, till one of the men stand up. And All right, cool. Uh, yeah, it, was, it wasn't here last week, but um, it was just when I was with Rodney's group the week before, I'd, um, I'd had a very... Uh, odd experience with God uh, about a year or so ago and uh, a lot of people said no, no, it was just that you were really nutty and you know whatever hallucinating or anything but I got a text from God a physical text from him on my phone and uh, first I got it out to read it I couldn't read it it was all jumbled up and uh, I was just annoying Lindley at the time you know <laughs> but anyway sort of straight after that he sent another one and it was just a reference to um, he was just sort of saying something like uh, what kind of he know I mean obviously he knows us and he knows us intimately you know and he knows that I like sort of engines and mechanical things and he'd sort of said to us oh what what type of engine is this you know because I went to show Lindley it had disappeared you know it just had gone now whether I was just my mind seeing it, or whether it was physically there, I, you know, I don't know, anyway. But uh, just getting to the point of it all was that um, we'd been in, you know, in Rodney's group, and Rodney came out with something about um, engines and birds flying through <laughs> jets or whatever, jet engines, wasn't it? Uh, but <laughs> not actually being destroyed through it all, but that being rearranged, being, and it was just, yeah, I don't know, at, at that time, you know what I mean, I just knew, absolutely knew, like I knew, like I knew, that, um, you know, it was something that God was speaking to me about, mm-hmm. yeah, simply because, you know, it had created a bit of grief, what I'd been All righty, Chris. Happy you come, buddy. Thank you. I'm glad what you said, uh, Greg, in the sense of we can view the false prophet with a lot of fear, but when we know how much... God loves us and his love is towards us and the desire for us to, to warn us of these things, you see it in a totally different light. And his love casts out all fear. 
So it's a real privilege that God is actually loves us so much that He's opening our eyes to what is a, the reality of God and what isn't. And sometimes they're very, very close. It's very hard to see it. But uh, I just—it was a real joy actually. Um, yesterday I was uh, listening to um, Sam's message on the very first one. It's hard to believe that five weeks has gone so quickly, just like that. But it was just amazing just to listen to that message again, and, and I encourage you to do that. You know, uh, all these messages that are uh, that are coming out of here, you need to get them in here because it, it does something very deep, and, and it was just amazing to listen to all that again, uh, Sam. It really was. So before I start, I want to look at, before looking at the uh, the false prophet, I just want to have a quick look at the new prophet. So who can remember? I know it was five weeks ago, but what is the new prophet? What's the characteristics of a, a prophet of God? Yep. They build and bless. Very good. It's for the body, yes. Humility, yep. Sorry? Yes, very, very good. They work with others. Very good. They're not lone rangers. There's a whole heap of them. Well, this is pretty good, though. <laughs> They represent God and not themselves. To do that, they have to be dead to themselves. Can't be anything of themselves. They both see God's macro and micro plan. But they're dedicated to seeing God's blueprints made clear, made known and established in the earth. They have a love and a passion for God's people to become who God intended them to be. Um, and they're men and women of the word. They rightly divide the word of God so that God's heart, mind, and intentions become clear to his people. And they're appointed. They're called of God, appointed and sent of God. So there's a whole lot of others there that you think of. That's the picture that, we, that God has planted and put here. Now we're going to have a look at the other side. I mean, some, some false prophets, it's easy to actually see that they're false. I mean, what's one of the most common false prophet you can hear? Anyone know? Sorry? No, not in the Bible that you hear today. The end of the world. On July 14th, God is coming back again. And so you, all the people... <gasps> Now this and they get everything together. They, you know, people sell their houses and their properties and everything like that, and they go and stand on a hill waiting for that, for that moment. And then he doesn't come. How many times have you heard that happening? <laughs> There's a lot. What does Scripture actually say? No one knows the day nor the hour. Only the, the Father, not even the Son. So why would he reveal it to Joe Bloggs when he hasn't even revealed it to his son? God is warning us and preparing us for his return, so we don't need to be slack about it. But when somebody says, hey, this is the day, this is the time, this is whatever, you know, ooh, you know, it just gets... 
I remember um, about 15 years ago, I think it was, there was a family up in Auckland that uh, they believed that they were having the Messiah, that he would be the king. And, uh, you know, and people gathered to them. And then she had a girl. (laughs) I think God has got such a great sense of humor. (laughs) But unless we're walking, but most, sorry, most um, false prophets, it's very, very subtle. And there's not a lot of difference between the shade and the light. It's hard to see sometimes. But unless that we're walking in the Spirit of God in humility, unless we really get to know him, and to know him, I mean just not know about him, but actually know him in here and walk with him daily, you get to discern and know, oh, that didn't feel right. What is that about that? Otherwise, we can be blind and led astray so easily and carried away by every wind of doctrine that feels and sounds good to our ears. You know, it's amazing in that same um, passage in uh, Ephesians 4, verse uh, 11 to 16, it talks about the, the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. You know what it says in the midst of all of that? It says, uh, you see, one of the functions of these gifts is to bring the body into the maturity so that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. They're out there. They're here. But if we're walking and living and moving as a body and growing in maturity, there won't be that deceitfulness and craftiness. We will be able to discern it and know it. People get carried away very easily because of what their ears hear, and they get tickled, and they like it. We have to be spiritually awakened to what God is doing and, and, uh, so that he can reveal it to us. And we become more and more in tune and aligned to his purposes, not ours. The Bible clearly says that in the last days there will come prophets, sorry, apostles, prophets, teachers, who even perform the most incredible signs and wonders, but they're not of God. They'll have their own agendas. There's always something behind something like that. But they've always got their own agendas, even though it may look good. Now, hear us right. We are for signs and wonders. It's God-given that they will follow us. But whenever there is the authentic, there's always the counterfeit that rises up. So we've got to be careful to be able to discern and understand it. Moses, what did he do? The Pharaoh's uh, magicians matched what Moses did until about the fifth or sixth plague, and then they couldn't do it. And they said, hey, this is of God. We can't do this. So eventually they are found out, but we've got to be really discerning. And so the key is to... The key to the whole thing of this is genuinely knowing him. Matthew 7. There's some very quick uh, scriptures here. Matthew 7, verse 15 to 16. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. 
you will know them by their fruit. So that's interesting. Matthew 24, verse 11 to 12. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because, of law, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Mm. Matthew 24, verse 24 to 25. For false Christs and uh, false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. This is Jesus speaking. See, I have told you beforehand. So he's warning us. People are like sheep. They want something or someone to follow. When times get dark, darker and certain events happen, if our lives are not grounded and rooted in him, we will allow our flesh to take over. We will panic. We will run here and there. We will look for what, what we're looking for. Sometimes we don't even know what we're looking for, but we're looking for something that will give us comfort, that will help us. So we will look for the reassuring words. We will look for somebody with charisma and appeal who can entertain us, who can bring us back some sort of pride in ourselves and some sort of direction. They may even do what seems impossible and even draw people together to unite them for a common cause. Can anyone think of somebody like that? Hitler did exactly that. A false prophet. In some ways, you see, after the First World War, Germany was left ruined. And it took a number of years. It left a lot of bitterness there, and it sowed the seeds for World War II. But it took a long time for Germany to actually get back on its feet. And in the 1920s, things started to prosper again. Things seemed to be going okay. But Hitler got up and proclaimed and said that the economy was going to collapse and that it was the, the Jews that were to blame. They all laughed at him. They said, oh, this guy's nuts. And he didn't get in Parliament. But then the depression came and everything fell down. There were people out of work and everything. And they remembered his words. And they said, it has come true. He must be someone of some note. So they started listening to what they were saying. He was saying. People who were disillusioned listened to his every word and were drawn to him. He fed the masses with bread. He fed them. He gave them a new vision and direction. The nation, uni the nation united behind him. Not all of them, but most people. His armies then did the impossible, victory after victory. And they elevated and worshipped him. That's what that sign, you know, Heil Hitler was all about. Worshipping him. And, of course, the rest is history. Sadly, my family was at the end of it. Well, not at the end of it, through it, uh, through the camps as Jews. But he was a false prophet. He was a worldly thing. See how people get caught up with that? Whole nations got caught up and drawn to him. How could somebody be deceived by a madman? It happened, and it can happen again. In fact, Jesus said that, in your notes, many false prophets would arise in the last days. False prophets know how to feed off people's fear. 
they know how to manipulate things. And when they know and they can sniff the fear in the ear, they can feed on it. Politicians are great at doing that. (laughs) 1 John 4, verse 1 to 3 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Verse 5. They are of the world. Therefore they speak of, as of the world. And the world hears them. So in your notes, false prophets are of the world. They're earthly based. They're not heavenly based. In 1 John 2, verse uh, 15 to 16 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. You know, false prophets, their internal position is governed by lust. And it'll be those ones. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In some ways, it's an unclean spirit. Jeremiah 5, verse 30 to 31. And I read this out when I was doing the Apostle one because it's so powerful. It says, An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? Whoa. Now God's not talking about non-Christians here. He's talking about his people. They love to have it so. It's interesting to note that the prophets lead the shepherds or the priests astray so that they learn to operate out of their own strength and power. How many, you know, how many churches run like that in our own effort, in our own strength? And people love to have it that way. And when you come and you declare the truth about learning to rest in him and allowing him to do the work in us so that what flows out of it is just so natural and it's the fruit of him. People say, oh, I don't know know about this. But they love to have, so would they burn out just trying to do their own effort and their own strength. And the prophets keep winding them up to do so. False prophets can only reproduce themselves and their fruit will be a people who are fruitless. Although they may seem to do great things in the name of God. In 2 Peter 2.17 they say they're wells without water. They're dry, there's nothing there. So let's have a look at some of the characteristics of the false prophets. I love Jeremiah. It's an amazing book. Jeremiah, when he lived, he was a lone voice in a lot of ways. There were lots of different prophets there, but they were all prophesying for the king. And so they would flatter the king. They would would give, give the king what they wanted 
what they knew he wanted to hear. And there are prophets that will do that. They will prophesy what you want to hear to tickle your ears, and it is flattery. It sort of reminds me a little bit of, you know, husbands, have you ever been shopping with your wives? (laughs) And you go into a shop, a clothing shop, (laughs) instead of pulling off one or two dresses off the rack, they've got to have this huge armload, (laughs) and they've got to try them all on. (laughs) And so... The husbands, you know, after the 10th or the 12th <laughs> dress, what are they going to say? <laughs> You're saying, yes, it looks fantastic, it looks fantastic, and then you see the price range. No, it doesn't look fantastic. <laughs> not quite, but actually Sandra's not quite so bad as that. <laughs> it's about eight or nine dresses, eight or nine dresses, mate. <laughs> I usually have to have a chair to sit down on when I go like this. <laughs> but it's, in your notes it says it's called flattery. And the motive behind it is to win favor and the recognition of men. So the motive behind it is to win favor and the recognition of men. You see, unless a prophet has gone through God's process, there'll always be a bit of them in them. And that will come out to the fore. And they can be tempted to do anything else. You see, what God does is the process for a prophet is to actually break them, to humble them, to put them through the process so that Everything that is of themselves is totally gone so that they only represent him. They're not afraid anymore to be able to, uh, to, be able to speak the truth of God's word because they're more, you know, they've got the fear of God in them and they hold God with such reverence that they want to bring God's thing. They want to please God, not man. But of course, unless a prophet has gone through God's process, his refining process, uh, process where every part is wholly surrendered to him, they will speak and promote their own agenda. You know, it just needs to be a small portion of us unsurrendered that can actually push its way through to the top, wanting its own thing. Look at Jeremiah. I haven't actually got it written there, but Jeremiah 23. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in verse 16, it just says this. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. Whoa, worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continue to say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, You shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and perceived and heard his word? She has to be revealed. And who has marked his word and heard it? In other words, 
That's the word of the Lord. In verse 21 it says, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, and yet they've prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and caused my, and caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Verse 25, I've heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of deceit of their own heart, who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams. And it goes on and on. It's quite a, it's really powerful if you read the whole passage. Now, Again, I'm not against dreams, and please hear us. God says that he will give dreams, but remember, whenever there's authentic, authentic dreams come, there will also be the counterfeit. And again, we have to have a discerning heart. There are prophets out there who have to keep up their reputation, their status, their image in the eyes of the people. However, it comes at a price. God's gift is irrevocable, and God can still use them. But the lack of intimacy and living out of who they are in Christ is often covered up. Externally, they may have it all down pat, but internally they are clinging to the image of who they think they are in the eyes of the people. I'll just read that bit again. Internally, they are clinging to the image of those who think they are who think they are in the eyes of the people. So I didn't say that. <laughs> but yeah, I'll say it properly. The whole thing. Externally, they may have it down pat, but internally, they are clinging to the image of who they think they are in the eyes of the people. That's a really, really dangerous path. Because you can, tr- you know, you can't please everybody. You end up going here and there and stepping in everybody's different camps. It just makes a mess of you on the inside. But when your image is based on what other people think, there is a problem. And you know, it's, it's a position of pride. And it's exactly what 1 John 2, verse 15 to 16 talks about. And Jeremiah wasn't afraid to prophesy the truth. He didn't care about what the people thought or even what the king thought. But what was more cons- he was more concerned about speaking only God's words. And men like him are often hated. Right throughout the Bible, prophets weren't your favorite friend to have. People kept them at arm's length. Because they were usually a bit of a weird personality. I'm sorry, Vera. <laughs> when you look at prophets, they are, they've got the most odd sort of personalities. But God uses them to demonstrate what he wants to show and reveal to his people. They're classified. The funny thing is they're often classified as false. They're considered the false apostles. And yet, they're the ones that God chose. Jeremiah 14, verse 14 says, And the Lord said to me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name, and, have not, and I have not sent them. 
commanded them or spoken to them. They prophesied to you a false vision, divination, that's interesting, a worthless thing and the deceit of their hearts. Now look at Lamentations 2 verse 14. Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not uncovered your iniquity. And to bring back your captives, they they have envisioned for you false prophecies and delusions. How often do we hear spoken in the body of Christ all around about it's all about us. It's all about being blessed. It's all about ourselves and our gifts and our ministries and our this and our that. How often is it talked about, about everything nice and neat and, 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 and lovey-dovey? And yet there's nothing there to actually bring us to the reality of who we are in Christ. And when we see our actual original status, woe is me. The people turn because they realize they can't do anything of themselves and they need to fall upon their knees and their face before God so that God can change them and set them free and bring them into such life. But because we don't want to offend anyone, we will speak only the nicety, nicety, nicety things so that people feel good, but they're still bound up. You see, in your notes, a false prophet will not bring the full counsel of God. In order for a prophet to build, he has to uproot and tear down. He has to be able to pull up those roots, and that can be painful at times. But what he's doing is he's actually building. Because he's getting away the rubbish so that you can be placed on the firm foundation of Christ. And sometimes it feels hard, it feels difficult, but God is doing it because he loves us and he wants the best for us. So true prophets have God's heart for the people. However, false prophets are declaring a false reality that may tickle the ears, cause warm fuzzies, but leave people bound and blinded. How often do we long for the easy road? Oh, it'd be so much easier, but that's not God's way. He wants to change us internally. It's funny, you know, when you look at this, this fellowship and how God has raised up the apostolic and declared the vision of what he's doing and released the blueprints upon here. Now, we've had visiting prophets come in. They they haven't known what's been going on here, and yet they've prophesied exactly what we the 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 place of of where we're going, the direction of where we're going. They've added the weight of what God is saying and confirming the word over and over and over again. Yet, how often have we seen people run off in a different direction? I mean, what what are they running to? What what? Are they not seeing? Why is the word not? I mean, not everybody that's gone left this place is because of that. But a lot of them, suddenly God's called them elsewhere. And you think, what are they running to? This, what is happening in this place here is not easy. It's not an easy road at all. 
But it's the road God has chosen for us so that we learn to become more like him. Well, not learn, we become more like him as we get to know him. Luke 6 verse 16 says, Woe to you when men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. It's funny, you know, Arthur Katz was not very well liked at all. <laughs> he was known in the north, and my brother was telling me in England, he was known as the crying prophet because he used to put a damper on things. <laughs> there were a number of times when he'd walk into the, he'd be in the fellowship sitting up the front, and they'd be worshipping away, and he'd walk out. When the singing had finished, he'd come back in, and he'd say to them, I just can't stand the flesh. I'm sorry, I can't stand when the flesh is displayed. Ooh. <laughs> Can you imagine him here saying that? <laughs> like that? But he was a man that, that loved God so much that had died totally to himself. He was not afraid to speak what God had said. And he said if he got, came to a place and, and he was invited to speak and he got up and God didn't give him a word, he said he'd just sit down again. He said he was not going to just speak anything because man, what man tends to do is we've got to fill in the gaps for God. <laughs> but he said he stood in fear, uh, you know, a reverent fear of God to speak only what God said. He was not well liked. And true prophets aren't. Well, let's have a look at the, uh, another example. The old versus the new. This is an amazing story found in 1 Kings Verse 13, 1 to 34. Now, we haven't got time to read it, but I will just summarize for you. <clears throat> this young prophet is sent by God to the king. And uh, he prophesies to the king, and he warns them, and he performs a sign and wonder. The king is angry, and he turns, and he points at him, and suddenly his hand just shrivels up. And he says, please pray for me. And of course he prays for him and it's released. It was incredible. People were standing, oh, wow. Then the prophet goes off. Then the sons of an old prophet come to this old guy and tells him what happens. And something ignites in the middle, in his heart. Something ignites. It's like, wow. It's like something came alive again. He said, where is the guy? I want to meet him. So he goes in, in hot pursuit with him. He settles up a donkey and you think, hot pursuit? <laughs> but anyway, he catches up with the guy. <laughs> and he says to the guy, hey, I want you to come back to my place. Have some food and eat and drink. And he says, but God has told me I'm to go back another way, I'm not to eat and drink. Now that throws the old prophet. He doesn't know how to take that. So guess what he says? He says to them, I too am a prophet as you are. In other words, he's trying to level the playing field and to bring him down a peg or two. Hey, don't you know who you're speaking with? I've been around a lot longer than you have. So he lies and he prophesies, boy, well he says he prophesies, that God told him in a vision that you're to come back with me and to eat and drink. 
you see what's happening here and of course he does come back and then suddenly the old guy comes to life again prophesies you disobeyed the lord and you're going to die and of course he goes home and gets killed by a lion and then the old guy is just so upset about the guy's dying so he goes out and he collects his body and buries him that's the most weird story (laughs) you can read but there's some really important points in here you see if we have an old wineskin in us when the new comes, it may ignite something very quickly in us. It may spark something off. But because there's not enough room for it, the seed to take root, it's spilt. It can't be contained in the old wine. And so it just spills and breaks out. And the new can't take root. And all you end up doing is defending your old position because what's in here, if it's not removed, will come out. Now he went, we don't know his real motives about coming to the young prophet. It may have been really good. But when he suddenly was confronted with, no, he wasn't going to come back with him, he decided then what was in here suddenly came out. It was either to kill or to bring down a peg or two. And that happens over and over in the body of Christ today even. You'll be surprised at who, you know, if you hold an old position, you've got to kill the one with the new. Because there's nothing else you can do. And that's why it's so important actually to get rid of the old wineskin so that there's new wine can be held within you and that you can grow. Otherwise it'll just die. It says in your notes, jealousy and a familiar spirit is very dangerous and in the hands of a prophet more so. Believe me, I have seen men of God arguing with each other and putting each other down. And some of it has been over jealousy and not being able to accept or understand the new. So they have to defend their position. So the next bit was to defend his position, he has to lie and deceive the younger prophet, who is probably out of respect, alters course. And in doing so, it costs him his life. That's very, very sad, isn't it? Jealousy in a familiar spirit can only do two things, and that is to kill or discredit the new, and it comes out and smothers the seed. That which was so eagerly embraced never bears fruit because the old wineskin can't handle it. But more dangerously, it goes after that which becomes a threat to them and to their position. That's quite um, difficult. And yet he mourns the death of, of the younger prophet. And how often in Scripture, oh, you know, we, they hated the prophets. They hated Isaiah. They hated Jeremiah. They hated Zechariah. All those guys. But when they were dead, they revered them. They mourned them. Oh, and in Jesus' day, you know, the Pharisees were talking about those prophets, you know, of old with reverence. They would never have done that. And yet John the Baptist is right there, and they think this guy's weird, you know. He could be false. And Jesus is right there in front of him. We want to kill him. 
we can do exactly the same if we're not careful. Matthew 23, verse 37a says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Incidentally, in the Old Testament, if you were a prophet and you prophesied falsely, you were stoned to death. Who wants to join up as a prophet? <laughs> you had to make sure you were called a God, I tell you. <laughs> Today, we just take it so much more lightly. Then there's the lying spirit, but I don't have time to go into that uh, thing. But you can have a look at it yourself. It's a really unusual one again. 1 Kings 22, verse 1 to 28, where a prophet actually sees the sp- uh, you know, God's having counsel about how to get Ahab. And so the spirit comes forth and said, I'll be a lying spirit in the mouths of the prophets. And so God said, you're sent, go to them. And of course they're prophesying. And of course Ahab knows that they're prophesying googly-gook. So he has to ask this prophet, and he says, you know, you always say, tell me bad things, but what are you saying? He knows he's speaking the truth. And he tells him, I see Israel scattered dead on the field. But he still goes out and does it, <laughs> does it. But it's an interesting one. But Revelations, Revelation 16 says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to battle of the great day of God Almighty. Mm. But tonight I really want to focus on one character called Balaam. How many know the story of Balaam? Now I won't be able to read all of it. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you briefly because I mean it takes at least three or four chapters. The children of Israel had come out of Egypt. They were in the desert there and God had blessed them. And they were taking over and winning battles. This is before they entered the promised land. The king of Moab is really concerned, really concerned. And I guess you would be too. So he's got to hire this prophet, um, uh, Balaam, to curse the children of God. And so he hires him to do it. And of course, every time Balaam goes to do it, God puts blessing in his mouth not curses, and the king is angry and furious. By the way, just before he gets to that king, there's the donkey episode where the donkey's going along, and the donkey has his eyes open, but Balaam can't see. And there's an angel standing there with a sword waiting to kill him. And we'll go through that in a few minutes. Why? But anyway, his eyes are opened, and he goes and carries on and so forth. But let's have a look at the credential, Balaam's credentials, they're actually pretty amazing when you look at it. The first one is lineage. You know, the um, scholars say that Balaam's lineage actually goes far back as Abraham and Laban and all around those things, he was actually linked with them. Well, his family was. So he's actually got a pretty good pedigree, if you like. A family that worshipped the Lord. 
The second one is he had a reputation. When the king of Moab hired him, what you may not be aware was that they had to send people about 360 miles, not kilometers, 360 miles to go and get him. That's a fair fair track in those days, whether you're on camel or on horseback or whatever it was. That's a long way. He must have had a pretty good reputation for someone to go all the way out there to get him. He had a knowledge of God. It's when he uses God's name, it's referred to as Jehovah. So he actually has a knowledge of the living God. We're not talking about Baal or anything like that. We're talking about Jehovah here. He says out of his mouth he cannot be bought because they try and bribe him and say, hey, look, come and we'll pay you all this and we'll give you all this honor and glory. But he says out of his mouth that he can't be bought. So he's actually very honorable and trustworthy. He also, throughout the story, he meets with God. It says there, you know, when he's actually prophesying, he goes to the hillside there and he meets with God and God talks with him. That's pretty impressive. He has his eyes opened. With the the episode with the donkey, his eyes were open so he could see into a realm that he couldn't see before. He also hears the word of God and sees visions of the Almighty. When you read his prophecies or that, it talks about him hearing the word and also seeing visions. He prophesies accurately. In fact, in some of those prophecies, he prophesies about the Messiah. That's pretty good. And then, of course, he goes home after blessing the children of Israel. His task was done. Wow, what a man of God. Shall we hire him? Shall we bring him on board? Shall we have him here for next Sunday? You see, we can look at the external and miss what's actually happening on the internal. And that's why we need to look at it. It says here in your notes, externally, he has excellent qualities and looks the real deal. But let's go deeper. Internally, things aren't what they seem. Hmm. Number one, he was a lone ranger. You know, when in Ephesians it talks about just the apostle, does it? Or does it just talk, Paul talks about the prophet all by himself? Or the pastor or the teacher or the evangelist? How many fellowships are made up of just this or just that? But he talks about his whole body. And we need to be accountable. We need to be in a body. And Balaam was no different, and yet you don't hear of any body or connection or family or even tribe that he was connected with. He was a lone ranger. When these people first came to him and said, 
the king of uh, Moab wants you to come and uh, to, to, to curse the children of Israel, he, um, he says no. Well, he says, I'll go and ask God. And God specifically and clearly says no. So why is it that when they, they came back a second time with even more prominent people, with even greater wealth and enticement, did he say, oh, well, I'll go seek God again? Yeah. You see, maybe he felt the pressure. Maybe he felt compelled or obliged by the company of such an esteemed uh, company. He was even offered greater riches. And, you know, that can actually be a real pressure. See, prophets who feel compelled by men will often compromise their position in God. The fear of men becomes more importance, has of more importance or significance than obeying God. Look at Saul. He was told to wait, but he said when Samuel turned up, he'd already lit the burnt offering. I felt compelled by the people, and Saul missed it. And God grants, though, Balaam his desire to go. But it was God's second best. Now, this is something that's really, really important. Sometimes when God says no, we want to push the door open. And if we keep trying to push that door open, God will say, well, I'll let you have it. So we've really got to be able to discern when God wants us to push through and when actually when God says no and to wait. Because God's timing is everything. And it's for our own good. But here, he lets him go. It's like, we want a king. The children of Israel cried out, we want a king. Samuel said to them, you've already got a king. You've got the Lord Jehovah. No, but we want to be like them. So in the end, God gave them what they wanted. False prophets can actually lead people away from God's plans and purposes and get them absorbed in doing their own ministry. But it's God's second best and it actually fragments the body rather than bringing the body together (laughs) how many ministries we've got all around the body (laughs) and yet they've they've you know prophets have prophesied into it and got the body focusing on their own little individual thing it's fragmented the body all over and caused a lot of problems And it's actually led the people astray from God's macro plan. And they get so absorbed and fed into it that they miss what God wants to do. Then they have to hang on to what they've got, and they won't let it go. But God said, 
But there's something beautiful about letting it go because then you come into something far greater. And often the desire and the word God spoke over you becomes fulfilled in that. But it has to die so God can redefine it. False prophets can become deluded into thinking that their will is the will of God. That's dangerous. <laughs> Lines become blurred. Seeking your own will versus God's will can be very subtle. And can, we can make it look good. And yes, God can even open certain doors, but it can still be God's second best. And laying down uh, is vital. Laying it down is vital, and especially for a prophet. And for a prophet, everything has to be dead so that God can be alive and nothing of himself. I tell you what, laying something that's really precious down can be the most fulfilling and rewarding thing that you re don't realize at the time. Sandra and I was doing a, a music ministry years ago. We had uh, like a small chamber orchestra and things like that and a few dances and things like that. And um, everything was going really well. This is back in the the eighties, uh, and uh, one of the most uh, one of the leading uh, Christian artists of the day in New Zealand asked us to do a recording with him. And so, wow, this is an opportunity after opportunity was coming up, and we were praying, God, you know, what should we do about this? And then God said to us, "I want you to lay it down." And we said, "God, that's not what we asked." <laughs> but you see there's a trap here it could have gone to our heads it could have become all about us but God said can you lay it down we felt raw they didn't understand you know people really came back at us and said you know that's not of the Lord that, that can't be of the Lord yeah but we knew God had spoken very, very clearly. And so we laid it down. But we came into more freedom because we laid it down. So if you're holding on to something and it's so dear to your heart, let it God have it. Because he can redefine it and change the whole thing. And I, and I look back today and I think, praise God for what he did. He saved me out of myself. <laughs> because I'd hate to see where I was going to go. Now, Balaam's, Balaam is hearing God, but his motive or his true heart is being revealed. His heart is being drawn and enticed by the wealth offered to him. His words said one thing, but his heart was far from God. You see, false prophets, uh, sorry, the, the false, false prophets' true heart position will always be revealed at some point. Jude 1, 11 says, Woe to them, for they who have gone the way of Cain have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit. Wrong sort of profit, Balaam. <laughs> and perish in the rebellion of Korah. Second Peter 2, 15 says, For they have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Boah, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. 
but he was rebuked by a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice, restraining the madness of the prophet. His talk said one thing, and yet his righteousness was no better than the Pharisees. And we can have the same talk. We can say one thing and be doing something totally different. He's also fueled by the stature of the people who come to him and allow flattery. This is where we see flattery again to swell the pride of his reputation in the eyes of man. Man's reputation can be brought and sold out at the right price, no matter how godly they may seem. These men have come all this way, not once but twice. I must be pretty important. If a prophet is not dead to himself, he can begin to feed off the praises of men. And when he doesn't get it, he will demand it. It's a funny thing. You look for the praises and you take it and it builds you up. And then when you don't get it, these people don't appreciate me. A false prophet loves the praises of men more than the praises of God. It can be very subtle, but you can actually pick it up when they speak. And they're playing to the audience. They're playing. They're seeing the people out there as an audience rather than the people of God. We all love the praises of men, but sometimes it can cause us to make decisions that we later regret. His eyes were open and he sees angels standing with a sword after the donkey spoke to him. And this is what the angel of the Lord said. Behold, I have come to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. Hang on, this is this guy that was really good with good credentials. And yet the angel of God is saying your way is perverse before me. Whoa. He repents with his face to the ground and acknowledges he has sinned. But look what he says. If it displeases you, I will turn back. I thought repentance was, God, I have sinned. I am, I'm, I'm running back the other way. I'm running toward you, not away from you. But if. God, I still want to go. So if there's any chance, can you forgive me now and we'll, we'll deal with this later? <laughs> That's not true repentance. You know, that could have been his turning point. He could have come back to God in a new, fresh way. But he still had an agenda to go where he wanted to go. See, false prophets struggle to allow God to break or humble them. They may cry out with many tears but fail to change, just like King Saul. Prophets make mistakes. They're human. But unless they have a heart like David and truly repent, they will go through the motions and continue along the same path. I mean, an angel was sent to him with a sword. I mean, how many other things do you need 
to, to see what God is trying to tell you. Mind you, Jacob, when he was coming back from being exiled, he saw a whole field of angels. But it wasn't until he wrestled with God, his life was changed. We can try and look and chase after a whole lot of angels and do a whole lot of signs and wonders, and yet our heart may never change. But it's when we wrestle with God, that's where the change happens. From here he feels compelled. Compliance is not obedience. See, it's a heart issue and speaks only what God has given him to speak. So he goes, he does what God says. He prophesies what God gives him to prophesy. But it's only out of compliancy rather than obedience. False prophets can hear and speak God's words accurately. However, the intimacy of truly knowing him, abiding in them, can be external only. We have to look at ourselves too. Is God always external of us? Or is he actually living and abiding in us? Because for most Christians, we've been taught he's out there. We're trying somehow to reach out to God, and yet he lives within us. Can we truly get to know him? So it's not external, but it's internal. So anyway, the king threatens to send him home without reward. He's prophesied three times. In fact, he prophesies four times. And he blesses the children of God. The king of Moab is infuriated. And says to him, well, I'm not going to pay you. You go home. And it says then that he went his way and the king of Moab went his way. But then something happens out of the blue in the next chapter of, um, I forget which one it was, 25 I think it was. I haven't got it here. Suddenly you hear the children of Israel are encamped, and then suddenly all these prostitutes, if you like, of Moab women are around the outskirts of the camp. And the men are falling for them. And God's anger burns against them. And over 20,000 people die. So where did that come from? Did the king of Moab suddenly dream that up? See, what we don't know in that story is you have to find out what happens in the other, in the other places. It says in Revelations 2.14, But I have a few things against you, because you have, uh, have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to uh, put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat the things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. See, false prophets put stumbling blocks before the people of God rather than bringing them into the freedom God truly has on offer for them. So false prophets put stumbling blocks before the people of God rather than bring them into the freedom God truly has on offer for them. I mean, Balaam is like the Terminator. 
He keeps on turning up. If you go through, he turns up in the New Testament at least three or four times. He turns up in Joshua. Joshua actually, when Joshua invades the, the promised land, they go and they kill him. Yay! <laughs> they finally get him. <laughs> on the outside, he looked squeaky clean, but on the inside, he was full of hypocrisy. He was a smart man. He realized that when he prophesied, he could only speak the words God gave him. So that was fine. He covered off, he ticked the boxes for God in that point. But how was he going to get the money on the other side and come out looking squeaky clean? So he plants a seed. He knows God's not going to curse his own people. But if he can get God angry at his own people, whoa, then we can actually turn them in on themselves and they can fight and carry on. He knew the ways around the system. See, false prophets know how to manipulate the system to their own advantage. That's really dangerous. You get all sorts of prophets around the world that will only speak in certain places if there's so many people going to be there and if they're going to get paid a certain amount and if they're going to be put up into a five-star hotel, etc., etc. And when they go to Africa and places like that, they expect to be treated like royalty and a lot of those people can't even afford it. I remember Martin Steele, he used to work in Eastern Europe. A lot of those people struggled. And so Martin used to run these leadership courses over there, but he used to pay for it. He used to pay their own way. And he used to try and help feed because he knew that these people couldn't afford it. Now one family, the, the husband was a pastor and he was going to go. It was a three-day journey on a train to get there. It was somewhere, I forget where it was, Romania or somewhere like that. Now, for him to go on that journey for three days, the family would have to go without food for three days, and they made him a sandwich to last the three days on the train. And the family went without. And yet some ministers or prophets or whoever, some big speakers demand, we want this and this and that. I mean, Jesus was never put up in a five-star hotel. You know, but they can try and manipulate the system because this is what they want. It's so sad. Because what's God's heart? It's for his people. And God gave them the gift. It wasn't their own. But they take it and they make it their own. And they like, you know... It's just, yeah, just breaks you. But anyway, Balaam almost got away with it, but the blood money cost the lives of over 20,000 people. And as I said, Joshua got him in the end. But prophets are held responsible for what they do and for what they say. 
You know, we're called to be a prophetic people. So we have to be careful what we say as well. Because we can say and speak out of our mouths the things that are not what God wants as well. So it's a warning to all of us in some ways. We, want, we don't want to be false in what we say and speak to people. But I want to encourage you tonight. You know, we've seen a lot of different examples there. But God's heart is for his people to mature and to come into it so we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by every speaker that may come, but so that we can grow and mature, so we can discern and hear what truly is of God and what isn't. And in the days to come, there will be a lot of odd people coming around. And we've got to be able to discern it and know it and hear. Isn't that beautiful how God does things? Because he loves us, he warns us and tells us. So I pray you don't go home with fear, but actually thankfulness for what God wants to reveal. Amen. I think the key to that is being actively part of a body, not just being someone who attends services, because they are radically different between someone who just attends a service and someone who's part of a body. And that's how you, in fellowship with one another, that's where the protection is, because the shepherds are looking after the flock. Okay, So you've got to be part of, not just be someone who turns up, because anyone can turn up and not actually be part of the body. Um, and be that lone lone ranger, you know, in heart. So what we're going to do is we're just going to about twenty minutes. Just um, in your groups, just just maybe share uh, the nugget or nuggets that you got, the things that were mentioned. I've heard of quite a few. Ooh, ah, whoa. So those are the nuggets that you're getting that you'd want to share, but maybe not in those words. But um, and we'll just do that for twenty twenty five minutes. And uh, thanks, Chris. That was awesome. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the last five weeks. Um, We've got a two-week break, and then we're going to be back in July looking at the teacher. And um, and then we've got some exciting things we're going to do practically in relation to the teacher as well, and so which is going to involve participation. So it's going to be cool. So at your groups, maybe just start sharing. It doesn't need to be a leader, but obviously listen and take turns.